I'm really excited to, to be with all of you and, and to be with all of you watching uh, in Bell County. Um, I'm excited to be here today. Uh, I'm excited for this opportunity to speak with you uh, about something so incredibly important. Uh, last week, Pastor Trevor started this series and started this conversation uh, talking about an inconvenient and unfortunate truth. But it is a truth that can be life-changing, and it can be life-enhancing. And that truth is, we are all dying. <laughs> We're in a good mood today, aren't we? we? We are all dying. We all have an expiration date. Every single one of us, at some point, we will come to the end of our story. The moment that we were born and we began to take our first breath was the moment that we started inching closer and closer and closer toward our final breath. And we often forget that. We often live life as if we're gonna live forever. But the fact of the matter is, we won't because we are all dying. And it's something we don't like to confront, it's something we don't like to think about because it makes us uncomfortable. But it's good for us to think about. In the scriptures, the scriptures don't shy away from it. Job, he said, a person's days are determined. He says, God, you, you have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. This is Job's way of saying that we all have an expiration date though we don't like to talk about it and though we don't like to think about it because it makes us uncomfortable. But it's a good thing for us to think about because as, as Pastor Trevor made clear last week, death clarifies our perspective on life. It's good for us to think about death because living life in view of our death enables us to live today, not just to exist today, but to live today. You experience this and I experience this when we go to a funeral and, you know, for the next couple of days, we're, we're a little bit nicer, right? We hold our family a little bit closer. Maybe we're more honest with them. We tell them, hey, I love you. I'm grateful for you. Because living life in view of our death makes life clear. It clarifies our perspective on life. And so last week we, we ended with a very important prayer from the book of Psalms. And I hope that you've been keeping this in front of you. I hope that you've taken this to heart because it's so good and it's so true. Moses, who wrote Psalm 90, he said it this way. He said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Because Moses knew that nothing inspires us to live quite like remembering that one day we will die. And then if we just began to count our days, then maybe, just maybe, we would start making our days count. I started doing this literally not too long ago, just, just several months ago. I started hanging out with some people that, that do this. They, they count every single day. And I'll be honest with you, it was a little, it was a little weird at first to you know, sit down every morning with my journal and write, all right, day X, Y, or Z. But I'll tell you what it did for me what it's done for me. It's completely changed the way that I look at life. I know every single day, every time I write that down, I know that yesterday is gone and tomorrow 
is not guaranteed. Today is all I have. Today, right now, in this moment, standing in front of you, talking to you, what a gift from God this is to breathe, to be alive, to speak. And today is day 9,181. I don't know if I'll get 9,182. So right now, I choose to live. I choose to make today count. But we don't like to think about that. We don't like to, to talk about the fact that one day we will die. Some of us, our worst fear is to get that call from the doctor, the doctor to step in the room and say, listen, I've got bad news. You only have six months to live. You only have three months to live. I don't even know how long you have to live, but you're, you're going to die. You're dying. And that is scary. Death is scary. I mean, we can all admit that. Death is scary. But I believe that there's something even more scary than simply dying. There's something else. And Harold Kushner, he put it like this. He said, I believe that it isn't dying that people are afraid of. It's something else. Something more unsettling and more tragic than dying frightens us. We're afraid of never having lived. Of coming to the end of our days with the sense that we were never really alive. That we never figured out what life was for. Dying is scary, but dying like this is terrifying. And it's so true. I mean, statistics show that most of us will not die suddenly. Most of us, when we come to the, the end of our days and as we approach death, we'll have time to think about the way that we spent our life. And what Harold Kushner is saying here, the thing that he's talking about, it has a name. To, to come to the end of our days and realize that we never figured out what life was for, that's called something. It's an idea. It's something that you and I know. It's something called regret. Regret. This is something that none of us want to die with. Now, we all have regrets. Every single one of us will have some regret when we die. But the key here is that we don't die full of regret. Because regret robs us of life. Regret, regret snatches our life away from us. But when we learn to count our days, like Moses said, and live every single day to the full, it affords us the opportunity to minimize regret. It affords us the opportunity not just to exist today, but to live today. We want to be like Jesus when we come to the end of our lives. Jesus, at age 12, at the beginning of his life, he said, I'm all about the Father's business. And then he comes to the end of his life, he's on the cross, and he cries out with his final breath, it is finished. What was finished? The Father's business. His purpose for his life he knew that it had been completed. We want to come to our, the end of our life like that, knowing that the Father's business in my life, in your life, it is finished. We want to be like Paul. When we come to the end of our life, he, he said, I, I poured myself out like a drink offering. I left it all out on the table, all out on the field. I have ran my race and I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. Because listen, Paul made mistakes. He was not perfect. He wasn't Jesus. 
but he didn't die with that toxic regret that so many of us, so many people die with. Because when we think about regret, typically we think about our mistakes. We think about our missteps. We think about all of the dumb decisions that we made in our life. Like, oh, that's so stupid. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. I, I wish I could go back and just fix it all. We will have those regrets, but that's not really the regret that I'm talking about because, because mistakes, missteps, wrong turns, they will happen. They are a guarantee in our life. But here's the great thing about better life with Jesus, something called grace. Grace. The fact that God can and will, promises to redeem every single mistake that we ever make and somehow, some way work it for our good and for his glory. That's Romans 8, 28, and that's a promise that you can nail to the wall and hang your hat on. Mistakes will be made, but God's grace is sufficient for us. That's not the regret that I'm talking about. It's not about mistakes. It's not about wrong turns. It's not about, I wish I wouldn't have, but rather, I wish I would have. It's the, not the regret of of missteps, but rather missed opportunities. It's not the regret of, I, I, I wish I didn't, but I wish I did. The regret that I'm talking about is the regret of, if only. Two of the saddest words in the English language. If only, if only, if only, if only. I just told them that I loved them. If only I'd really expressed how I felt. If only I'd taken responsibility. If only I'd made more time. If only I could go back. If only I just forgave that person. If only I just asked for forgiveness and let all of that go. If only, if only, if only, if only. That is the type of regret that too many people fall into as they approach their death. As they come to the end of their days, they realize that they never made their days count. And they're wondering, wishing, hoping, if only. There's a woman that you probably haven't heard of. Her name's Bronnie Ware. And uh, she was an Australian uh, poet and songwriter and author. And she spent 30 years as a nurse in hospice care. And she spent thousands upon thousands of hours with so many patients right there at the end of their life, right there knowing death is staring them right in the face. And she got to spend time with them. She got to learn from them. She learned that so many of them had the regret of if only. And she wrote a book about it. She wrote about the top five regrets of the people that she spent time with. And I think that we can learn from these regrets today. Number five was if only I'd let myself be happier. People got to the end of their life before they realized that happiness is a choice. That God, you know, he, he cares about your holiness. He cares about when we get it right, absolutely, but he also cares about our happiness. And it's something we have to choose. It's, it, joy is a choice. Happiness is a choice. So choose it today. Number four, if only I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Friends are such a gift. Friends are, are like family. Do you know who you can count on in your time of need? 
are there friends in your life that you just haven't given the time to that, that need to count on you in, in their time of need? Are you making time to, to enjoy life with them, to laugh with them, to live with them? Don't regret that. Number three, if only I had expressed my feelings. If only I told that person that I love them. If only I told them that I was sorry. If only I told them that I was grateful for them, just how much they meant to me. Who's that person that you need to tell? Who's that person that you need to express your true feelings to? If you don't, you'll end up regretting it. Time's running out. Number two, I wish, oh, if only I didn't work so hard. Work is good. Is it good to work? Yes. Is work important? Yes. But should work be the center of our lives? No. No, no, it's a part of life, but it's not the point of life. Too many people got to the end of their life before they realized that they had given everything to work and they hadn't made enough time for their family or their friends or the people they love most. When work becomes a bad thing is when it starts to edge out your faith. It starts to edge out the things that are most important in your life. So, so don't, don't regret that. And then number one, top regret was, if only I lived a life true to myself. Here's something you need to know. God made you to be you. He only made one of you. His thumbprint is on you in a unique way. So don't live trying to be somebody else. You are a wonderful you, but you're a terrible somebody else. Every time we try to live as if we're somebody else, we can't. We'll fail trying every single time. And we'll end up regretting never having found out who God intended for us to be. So, those are the top five regrets that she encountered. And, and there's, that's great. There's lots of practical wisdom in that. But today, I want to tell you a story that gets to the true heart of the matter of regret. Today, I want to tell you a story, a cautionary tale from the Old Testament about a group of people, an entire generation of people, who died with the regret of if only an entire generation of people who had an opportunity before them, but they missed it, and they spent the rest of their lives wondering what could have been, that if they could go back, they would do it all differently. And I think that we can learn something from them about regret. The group of people that I'm talking about is called the Israelites, a very specific generation of Israelites that, that God brought out of Egypt, out of slavery that they were in for 400 years, brought them out of that land, split the Red Sea, brought them through on dry ground, and brought them into the wilderness. And there he, he led them to Mount Sinai, led by Moses, who wrote Psalm 90, by the way. I think he had them in mind when he wrote that psalm. He, Moses brings them to Mount Sinai, and there God teaches them for, for two years he teaches an enslaved people to be free, or at least he tries to. Because what we learn about the Israelites is, is that they're human beings. They're, they're a lot like us. And if you read the Old Testament, we, you know, we love to pick on them, but we're much the same way. Because they oscillated back and forth and back and forth between belief and unbelief, between faith and doubt, between obeying and disobeying, trusting, doubting. They went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. 
They were consistently inconsistent. And who in the world can't relate to that? So after camping at Mount Sinai for two years, the time has come for Moses to bring them to the land of promise, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey that God promised all the way back to Abraham that his descendants would inherit this land. And here they are, the time has come. So Moses, he leads them to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And there they are given a once in a lifetime opportunity to experience all that God had for them, to step into the land of promise. And we're going to learn what happened. Moses, he records their history. He says, now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Their their, their hardships. They were just brought out of 400 years in slavery and now they're free. And after two years, they start complaining. That's all they can do. And it goes on. It says, the rabble with them. I love that word. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only, there's those two words again, if only we had meat to eat. Right now, their biggest regret is they don't have a New York strip. They don't have a bone-in ribeye steak. Oh, if only, if only we had meat to eat. And it goes on. They, They start complaining. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. Really, it cost them everything. They were slaves. It cost them their lives, but they they forget about that. And also the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks. Pause. If leeks makes your top five desert island foods, I can't help you, okay? Onions and garlic, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. This manna, this food that God literally manifested on the ground so that they would not starve, and they're complaining about it. We can learn from that. The Israelites, they're complaining about all of this stuff going on in the wilderness, but what they failed to realize is that their worst day in the wilderness was infinitely better than their best day in Egypt. Because they're free. God brought them out of slavery. Some of us, we may be tempted to do this. Some of us, we may be tempted to falsely remember the past. To make it better or worse than it was. And what that does every single time is it costs us the ability to live in the present. When we live in the past, when we live in yesterday, we can never live today. So be honest about the past. Don't don't deny it. Yesterday's there, but don't live in it. Don't make it better or worse than it was because you'll end up with regret. And so God, he he speaks to Moses. He says, tell the people, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. God's like, fine, I'll give it to you if that's what you really want. And the Lord, the Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. Parents, you said that before, haven't you? You're going to like it. And you will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Listen, this is bad because, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and you have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But while the meat 
was still between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Now, this isn't the point of the sermon, but I do want you to get this. If you look at the scriptures and you really pay attention to all the time that, that, that God's judgment shows us up, what we learn is that the wrath of God, the judgment of God, is often just him letting us have what we want. It's often him just letting us have our way to face the consequences of our choices. And that's exactly what happened here. So now, now they've learned their lesson, right? They're, they're, they're good to go. They're like, okay, yeah, yeah, fine, discipline, great. Yeah, I, I get it, I won't do it again. Nope. No, they don't. No, they don't. Because when it comes time for Moses to lead them to the Jordan River, all they have to do is cross it into the promised land. It's the only thing standing between them and the abundant life that God promised them. They decided that they didn't want to do it just yet. They decided, oh, let's go in and check it out first. Let's just dip our toe in the water. We want to work some reconnaissance first and make sure it's safe. Now, now what this is is a stall tactic, and we all have them. We all, we all do this when we pray, when we try to make decisions. You know, we, we don't trust completely, so we'll just tr want to, you know, test out the waters a little bit. And what this is, is they're virtually deciding whether or not they want to obey God. We all experience that. So let's learn from them. God's like, okay, you don't want to go in? Fine, I'll, I'll let you do it. He says to Moses, send some of the men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Be reminded, I'm giving this to you. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And when they reached, when these leaders, they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. And two of them carried it on a pole between them. These, it was huge. It was amazing. Along with some of the pomegranates and figs. And at the end of 40 days, 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there, they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. For 40 days, these leaders, they spent time in the land of promise. They, they got a picture, they got a glimpse of what could be, of the life that God had for them. And they even bring back evidence. Hey, God's right, it's flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing, here's its fruit, look, look at this. Everybody could see it plainly. But rather than focus on, on all of the evidence to go into the promised land, they decide to focus on something else. It says, but, but, and man, how often does a but keep us from God's better? But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Giants, scary people. But then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. One of the spies that went in, Caleb, he silenced the people and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Caleb, why, why is he so confident? Because God made him a promise. God made them a promise. And he knew that God, he's a promise maker and he's also a promise keeper. God's word will never fail. He knew that. He and his friend Joshua, who also went with him, they, they stood apart from the other 10. 
And they were like, we, we need to go. We need to do this. God is with us. And they tried to get everybody else to listen, but, but they wouldn't. It says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the, the land that we explored, it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Whenever you and I look for a reason not to trust God, whenever you and I look for an excuse, we will find it. We will find more than one excuse every single time. But here's the thing about excuses. Excuses keep us from taking steps of faith and they rob us of life. They will always keep us from God's best and they'll lead to regret. And that's what's happening here. They spread a bad report to all the people. It says that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Because when you and I choose to listen to negative, small-minded people, people that listen to fear, people that are paralyzed by fear, we will always be pulled down to their level. It will never propel us forward. It will always hold us back. And it will always lead to regret. And it says that all the Israelites, they grumbled. Again, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only, there's those words again, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. This is a miserable group of people. This is a miserable group of people. This is a group of people who could have had life, but they chose that it would be too difficult to receive that life. And right now, they regret ever leaving Egypt, but they're about to regret something else. They're about to regret not stepping into the life that God had for them. Because again, they got what they wanted. Again, God said, fine. If that's the way you want to have it, then there you go. But you will face the consequences of your choices. He told that entire generation of Israelites, all of them who didn't believe, he said to them, you're going to spend the rest of your days wandering. Wandering in the wilderness. Never able to enter the land that I promised you. Never able to see the life that I had for you. Wishing, wondering, thinking, regretting, if only, if only. Now, that's a sad story, but here's the good news for you and here's the good news for me. We can learn from their mistakes. We can learn from this story. We don't have to end our life with the regret of if only. We can choose to have faith, to trust. And so here's what I want to leave you with. I think there's three things that we can learn from the story of the Israelites. 
Number one, faith it. Don't fear it. Faith it. It, it, It's so much better to lean into faith than it is to lean into fear. It's so much better because faith propels us forward. Faith places our trust in God, but fear paralyzes. Fear holds us back and it keeps us from doing what we know we should do. Do you want to listen to fear or do you want to listen to faith? Fear will will keep you from telling them that you love them. Fear will keep you from seizing that opportunity that God has laid before you, the life that he's calling you into. If we walk by fear rather than by faith, we will die with avoidable regret, with unnecessary regret. So faith it, don't fear it. Believe that God is for you. Believe that he's with you. Believe that he's giving you wisdom and equipping you with everything that you need to do what you need to do. Have faith. He loves you and he's for you. Faith it, don't fear it. And the second one, don't live in the past. Don't live in the past. Don't, don't, Think about yesterday with, with, you know, rose-colored glasses. Don't make it any better or worse than it was. Acknowledge the past. It's there. Yesterday is there. But learn from it. Learn from your mistakes. We all have yesterdays, but we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We all have a past, but we are not guaranteed the future. Today is all we have. But Israel... They couldn't escape the delusion of their past. Those who live in yesterday will never be able to live today, and they'll always end up regretting it tomorrow. And the last one, quit making excuses. I need that. We all need that. Quit making excuses because we all have them. You know, I I would, but I just, I can't. I I know I should, but I, I just, I don't know about it. I I wasn't made that way. I wasn't raised that way. I'm not wired like that. I, I, I can't do that. Every time we look for an excuse, we will find it. What excuse are you giving for not living today? What excuses are we making? Because here's here's something that'll knock your socks off. God seldom makes a way if we aren't willing to make an effort. Our willingness is so important because God isn't always just gonna do everything for us. Israel, they weren't willing to take the first step. God isn't always just gonna you know, airlift us out or, or you know, make a way if we're not willing to make an effort. God is inviting us into a partnership with him to place our hand in his. And so together we can bring down the kingdom of God to earth and advance it to lead more people to Jesus. That's what he's calling us into. But if we're not willing, he won't make a way. So quit making excuses. There's three things, these three things that we can learn from the nation of Israel, that entire generation of people. It reminds us of the two saddest words ever, if, only, if only. One day you and I will see death approaching. 
we will see death approaching. And the pain of death, as painful as it is, it will be dwarfed by the pain of having so many if onlys. If only I had obeyed. If only I'd taken responsibility. If only I had trusted God. If only I'd made more time for my family. If only I'd loved them more. If only I'd served more. If only I'd given up more of myself and used my time and my gifts and my talents. If only I'd taken responsibility. If only I could go back and change things. If only I admitted that I needed help. If only, if only, if only, if only, if only. When Moses in Psalm 90 tells us to count our days, what he's telling us, what he's teaching us is this, live today in such a way you won't regret it tomorrow. Live today in such a way that you won't regret it tomorrow. When we begin to live this way, it's not the regret that vanishes, but it's the power that regret has on us that begins to fade. Because we will all have regrets, but we don't have to keep piling them on top of each other. We can choose today, we can choose today to live life. There will be failures, there will be mistakes, there will be missteps, there always is, but it will always be better. Life like that will always be better and wishing and wondering what could have been. Because just, just imagine with me for a second, that entire generation of people, of those Israelites that could not enter the land of promise for 40 years and for the rest of their lives, every single night, they went to bed looking up at the night sky, the stars in the desert, wishing, wondering, if only, if only, only we'd listened, if only we had obeyed, life would be so different and so much better. You have them and then you have Caleb, Joshua, the people that, that trusted God. God promised them one day because of your faith, you will enter the land of promise. You will enter the promised land because you trusted me. You took me at my word. And so Caleb and Joshua, the people that got to enter the promised land, they, they went to bed every single night during that time, looking up at the same stars, at the same night sky, not wishing if only, but, but sitting in joyful expectation that one day God would fulfill his promise to them, that they would experience better and abundant life. Not wishing if only, but, but waiting for that day. And when that day came, they would be ready. They would be ready. We all have regret. None of us will end our lives without it, but we can choose today not to add to it. And I wanna leave you with this. I wanna leave you with this prayer. God, give me the wisdom to know the best thing to do and the faith to do it, even if it's hard. I want you to make this your prayer. Add it to Psalm 90, stick it on your mirror, keep it with you. God, give me the wisdom. Can we, can we say this together? Can we pray this together? God, 
Give me the wisdom to know the best thing to do and the faith to do it, even if it's hard, even if it's hard. So my question for you today is what, what river has God brought you to? What is it? What is that best thing that you need to do, that you need to trust God with, that you need to step out in faith into? For some of you, it's choosing to follow Jesus today. It's placing your faith in Jesus today because today is all you have. I was talking with someone, someone I really look up to, pastor friend of mine, uh, about what I, was, what I was gonna be talking about. I said, you know, the one way you don't wanna die is with regret. And he said, that's true. But there's another way you don't wanna die. And that's without Christ. Gosh, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Maybe for you, that is your best next thing today is to place your faith in Jesus, to let him forgive you of your sins, to let him forgive you of your mistakes, to enter into the, the better life that he has for you and ultimately the eternal life that he has for you. For some of you, it's taking a step of faith in baptism in going public with your faith. For some of you, it's deciding to serve, to, to be upfront with your faith, to make a difference in people's lives, not to just consume all the time, but to contribute to the local church, to make a difference. For some of you, your best next thing to do is to express your feelings, to tell the people that you love, that you love them, that you're grateful for them. For some of you, it's to take responsibility for your family. For some of you, it's to hold your spouse and your kids close to hold your family close, to not hold it back from them, the love and the affection and the gratitude that you have for them. For some of you, it's to give more time, more love. If that's you, pray this prayer, God, give me the wisdom to know the best thing to do and the faith to do it, even if it's hard. And when you and I, when we pray this prayer, if we live by this prayer, we walk by faith, we will not have to end our life full of regret. Instead, we can see it approaching and have confidence to know that the work that God began in us, it is completed and that we are about to step into the eternal life that he has promised us. God, Heavenly Father, I pray today that, that for those of us who have regrets on our minds right now, that, that we wouldn't be held back by them, but that we would learn from them. And that we would choose today not to add to it, not to let them pile up on top of each other, not to go to the end of our life wondering if only. God, give us the wisdom to know the best thing to do and God, give us the faith to do it, even if it's hard. Thank you. Thank you that we can learn from the mistakes of the past. And thank you that you are calling us into something better. I pray today that we would live and that we would choose it. It's in your son's name we pray.